Thank you. All right. Amen. <laughs> well, good evening, and uh, what a joy it is to be with you tonight and throughout this coming week. Uh, we've been praying and looking forward to our time here, and uh, I'm really excited about uh, what God has in store for us as a, a group of people here tonight and throughout the week. Well, let me, uh, I normally don't introduce my family, but I will since that was the instruction tonight. So I have a wife, her name is uh, Shannon, and then my daughter Danielle is sitting next to her, and she uh, just turned 13 a few weeks ago, so it is a joy to have them uh, with me here. Many of you I do remember from years ago, I think it was 2009, it was the same year that the church uh, ordained and sent out uh, Brother Noah George to Lebanon there, and I was here at the conference and uh, able to witness that. And uh, it was just a joy, and so it's good to see so many of you that are still here faithfully serving the Lord and continuing in the work that God has called you to be a part of. Well, I am very excited to share with you what God did in the South Pacific uh, tomorrow night, and then also Friday night we'll be sharing what God did in those three years, and I, I hope that you'll be out because I think the presentation and the things that God did will accomplish a couple of things in your life. First of all, it'll be a different presentation than what you're used to because we'll be teaching mission principles along with that. And I'll explain to you why I'm doing that as far as a presentation. And I think that'll be helpful in just an overall of what missions is, what biblical missions is, and how it can still work in our day and age. I don't know if you ever come to the Word of God and you read the Word of God and say, that would be wonderful to see that today, but that's what God did, you know, 100 years ago, 2,000 years ago, whatever. Well, I, I hope through our testimony, you'll be able to come away knowing this, that what God did in Scripture times, He's still able to do today. But we have to get back to doing it God's way. And I know that we have a lot of methods, I know we have a lot of creativity, but I'm a firm believer, and even more so now, that if we do it the way God has said it to be done, it will just, it will blow our mind what God is capable to do. In all the challenges and all the difficulties that we seem to face, uh, our God is still able. And so I hope you come out. We'll start on that. We'll do part A tomorrow, and then, Lord willing, Friday night, finish up with part B. But I'm glad there's a lot to share and to be able to give the glory to the Lord for what He did. But then also, I want you to come and be encouraged. Because conferences like this, a lot of times we have that focus on missions and we know. We know what God has commanded us to do. We've heard the teaching. A church like this has had missionaries come through. Your pastors have taught you these things. And yes, we need that refreshment not only to pray and to give and to go, but we also need illustrations in our day and age that will encourage us. Because if we're just praying out of duty, we're going to lose our heart for missions. If all we're doing is throwing in our, our offering every single week, we're really disconnected from it. And I hope that by the end of Friday night, you'll come away saying this, that every dollar I gave to missions that at least if it was directed to the South Pacific Baptist Outreach, you'd say, God did something great with that dollar. Every time you lifted up a prayer, even just saying, well, Lord, bless the sergeants or bless the work there, that you'll know that God heard that prayer and answered in a mighty way. And I'm really excited about that. Uh, I'll save it for tomorrow night because I just have the opportunity here. But I do kind of want to lay a little bit of the groundwork and build off of that just to help you have that burden, have that motivation drive in the way that God wants you to participate in worldwide missions. Not all of us can go, but we can all be involved. And God allowed myself and my family to be involved for a very short period of time. And now we're looking at the next chapter of our life and our ministry. We're excited about it. But we're also just excited to be a part of God's plan. And He knows where to put people at right times and how to use us. And I want that for you. I want you to be able to come away saying that God could use me. 
even here in the North Pole, Fairbanks, wherever he's located you, or if he wants you to go somewhere else, then you can have absolute confidence that what God has called you to do, he will do it. Amen? We need that today. Well, tonight, let's go to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter number 10. And I'd like to spend the next few moments dealing with a passage here that I think is going to speak to us on many different levels. And uh, I hope that uh, I'll do the passage justice, but then also be able to connect it and bring about the right application that will help us to grow in the Lord and help us to just understand what His will and His plan is for our life. In Matthew chapter number 10, we're just going to read verses 26 through 31 to begin with, but I don't want us to dismiss the other verses around because what we're going to read is building upon many other things that Jesus said specifically to His 12 disciples. But for sake of time, let's just read verses 26 through 31 tonight and then we'll get into the message. The Bible says, Fear them not therefore, for there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, and hid that shall not be known. What I tell you in darkness, that speak ye in light, and what ye hear in the ear, that preach ye upon the housetops. And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. But rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? And one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear ye not therefore, ye are of more value than many sparrows. Now, as we read through this passage, did you notice how Jesus repeated himself three times? Now, we have to ask the question, why does Jesus repeat himself? This is not the only occasion in the Gospels of we reading of the Lord repeating himself or saying the same thing over. Well, for us to understand the answer to that question, we have to understand the purpose of repetition. We often repeat things in order to drive something home. We do that with our children when we want to make sure that we're heard and we're understood and they're going to do what we're instructing them to do. We often repeat ourselves, don't we? Now, I want you to do your homework. Do you understand that Right now, I want you to go to your room and do your homework. Please do not come out of your room and watch TV or play with your toys until your homework is done. And sometimes as parents, we feel like we are often a broken record, don't we? Over and over and over again, we're saying the same thing. But the reason we're doing it is because we want to make sure there is complete understanding so that there would be complete obedience. We see this in Scripture and in some of the books of the Bible. You take the book of Deuteronomy, for example. The book of Deuteronomy is the second giving of God's law. The nation of Israel had gone through that time of judgment, 40 years in the wilderness. That generation was there at Mount Sinai. They heard the commands of God. They saw the tablets with the law of God written there. But yet they chose to disobey and dismiss and reject what God had told them to do. Another generation rose up. They had been instructed before. They knew what the law was. But Moses said, before you go into the land of promise, we're going to go over it all over again. I'm going to make sure that you understand what God expects of you. How God wants these things to be done. Because if you don't get what God is saying, you're going to go in and make a mess of it all over again. And you know what? God may just kill you out in your generation as well. And so God is a God that repeats Himself, not to be annoying, but so that we may understand why and what He wants for us to do. Now here in this passage, Jesus repeats Himself three times. You say, where is this repetition? What is it that Jesus is saying that is 
trying to be driven into our heart and our mind. Well, let's read those verses and hopefully you'll be able to pick up on them very clearly. Verse 26, Fear them not therefore, for there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, and hid that shall not be known. Now, if you would, look at verse number 28. The Bible says, And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to uh, destroy both soul and body in hell. And then verse 31, Fear ye not therefore, ye are of more value than many sparrows. Now, what is God reiterating here? If we could summarize it in these three verses, he is saying, don't fear. Do not be afraid. Now, there are different instruction around that statement, but we see it clearly. Verse 26, fear them not. Verse 28, fear not them. Verse 31, fear ye not therefore. Those are the dominant statements that are being highlighted by the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if we just look at those statements, they in and of themselves are a tremendous blessing. First of all, if you look there at verses 26 and 27, what Jesus is saying to you and I is this, don't be afraid because truth will prevail. Isn't that a wonderful promise that God has given? We are living in a day and age where lies and deceit And dishonesty seems to be prevailing. I was on the flight last night and there was one lady who wore a t-shirt that I I really enjoyed, I wanted to get. It said this, defund the media. And I thought, you know, that's finally a good message there because we are being bombarded today with lies and half-truths and utter deceit. And as people of God, do we not love truth? Amen? We are to be people of truth, and when we hear truth, it ought to get us excited, saying, well, that is right, that is of God, but yet we are living in a day and age where truth is not prevailing, but the lies are dominating. But Jesus is saying here, don't fear, don't be afraid. There is coming a day where truth will prevail. In 1 Corinthians chapter number 4 and verse number 5, It says that there is a day where all will be judged. Do you understand that on that day where every one of us stands before God and there's not a living person, a human being that will not stand before God. There are different judgments for the lost as for the saved, but all of us will have to give an account of ourselves to God. And do you realize that in that day, God's not going to put up with lies and deceit and anything that is a lie. In fact, we read that in Revelation. As he talks about that glorious eternal home, he says that there will be no lies and no deceit allowed within the gates of what we often refer to as heaven. Won't that be heaven in and of itself? That everything that we hear, everything that we see is 100% truth, no lies, no deceit attached. Jesus is saying here, don't fear what's going on in our world today and Don't get worked up over all the lies. Those things are of the devil. Those things are of Satan's moving. But there is coming a day where truth will prevail. Then when we jump down to verse number 28, he's saying this, don't be afraid because God is greater than man. Now again, we know that, don't we? We have proper theology. We know that God is greater, that God is all-powerful. But this is a good reminder to you and I because men today are creating a lot of fear. And the Bible says that the fear of man is a snare. And I'll tell you this, we'd be lying to ourselves if we say, well, I'm not afraid of what the government's doing. I'm not afraid of this. I'm not afraid of that. Man is doing a lot of things that are causing discomfort in our heart. And Jesus says, don't fear man. The worst they can do is kill the body. Have you forgotten, child of God, that if our body dies, to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord? That's kind of a good deal, isn't it? What are we so afraid of? But yet, look at what's happened over the last year and a half, how people have become so fearful of death. 
Well, I don't want to get sick. I don't want this. I'm so concerned about maintaining this life. And that is all being propagated from a fear position when God says, don't fear what happens to the body. You fear me. You reverence me. You keep the priority upon me. In fact, in Hebrews chapter number 13 and verse number 6, a wonderful promise here, right after it says that Jesus will never leave us nor forsake us. Verse number 6, turn there very quickly, Hebrews 13 verse 6. Why do we have, what are we to say after we receive that promise that I will never leave thee nor forsake thee? God gives us that promise so that we may boldly say, Highlight that word, we may boldly say, not something that we whisper, not something we say, well, I think this is going to happen, but with absolute confidence, the Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. That's a strong statement. God is with me, God is my helper, I'm not going to fear what's going on in this world. The government can make their laws, they can do their mandates, they can have their restrictions, they can do whatever they want, but God is with me and God will help me. I'm not going to worry about any of that. That's a very important truth that we need to get a hold of. Now when we get to verse 31, we see another very quick thing here, verses 29 through 31. Jesus not only said, don't be afraid because truth will prevail, don't be afraid because God is greater than all. But he says also, don't be afraid because God is going to take care of you. He talks about this sparrow. And he says, if one of them fall to the ground, the father notices. He talks about the hair on our head. He says, all of them are numbered. And then he ends with this, fear ye not therefore, ye are of more value than many sparrows. The Bible tells us that God has promised to take care of our need. I love how the psalmist David said it in Psalm 37. He said, I've been young and now I am old. And as I reflect over my life, the one thing I see is this. I have never begged for bread because there's been a faithful God who has taken care of me every step along the way. And Jesus brought this out in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, take no thought for tomorrow. Don't get all worried about where you're going to get food and the shelter and the clothing and all these things of life. And what did he say to you and I? He said, don't worry about it, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and I'll take care of everything else. Don't be afraid. Don't worry about your needs because you have a faithful God. Now, when you combine these three exhortations, It's interesting to note that God has promised to take care of everything from beginning to end. If we go backwards in this, we see God will take care of the here and now. Don't worry about the things that you need. I will supply your need. He says that I promise to take care of you when death comes. When your soul is separated from this body... You don't have to worry. You're not dying. You're going to sleep and you'll be with me. Then he even deals with things later on in eternity that after the judgment, all sin will be removed. All tears will be wiped away. All things will be made brand new. And forever and ever we will be in the presence of our perfect almighty God. See, when you come to the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation... His promises say, you no longer need to fear. There's no reason to be afraid anymore because you are mine and I am yours. I must say something very direct tonight and something that many of you know and I'm sure you'll say amen to, but we need to hear this and hear it often. And that is our God will never fail us. Our God will never fail us. It doesn't matter what your emotions are saying. It doesn't matter what your your crazy thoughts are entertaining. That is a constant. God will never fail you. 
And so our response to that promise is this, because my God will never fail me, I don't need to fear, I don't need to fret, I don't need to be afraid. What I need to do is put faith in His promise. Now you say, well, preacher, that's hard to do. Well, it is and it isn't. There's two things we need to understand. First of all, when fear is in our life, it is not there because God put it there. 2 Timothy chapter number 1 and verse number 7, the Bible says, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear. So when we're anxious and we're worried and we're, ang- uh, we're uh, fretful and all those other emotions, that is not of God. And so if it's not of God, where does it come from? Well, it could come from our own sinful nature. It could come from the world around us. We could certainly say that it could be one of those fiery darts that the evil one launches at us. But I'll tell you this, when our heart and our mind is overwhelmed with fear, that is not a gift that was given to us by God. Something else is working and something else is dominating because God says, I don't give that spirit, but instead I give the spirit of power, I give the spirit of love, I give the spirit of a sound mind. Fear is not of God. Amen? And so when we fear, not only do we need to understand that it's not of God, but it's of another source, we also need to note what we're not doing. Over in Mark chapter number 4 and verse number 40, it records one of the times the Lord rebuked the disciples after a moment of fear. There are a couple of times that are recorded in the Gospels where they're out on the Sea of Galilee and they're in a violent storm and they're afraid. There are other times where they were overwhelmed and they were afraid. But note what Jesus said in verse number 40, that after He calmed the storm and settled everything down, He said unto them, Why are ye so fearful? That's an interesting question, isn't it? If the Lord walked up to you tonight, would He ask the same question? Why are you so afraid? Now, He's not asking because he's, he, he doesn't know what's going on. He already knows what's going on. It's more of this, why are you afraid? There's no reason for you to be fearful. So He wasn't saying, well, men, what, you're seasoned mariners, you're seasoned... Uh, fishermen there, why are you getting all upset and freaked out in this storm? That's against your character. No, he's asking because he's going to reveal why they were so afraid. Because look at that last statement. How is it that you have no faith? How is it that you have no faith? Brethren, why is it that we allow our hearts and our minds to be overcome and dominated by fear. It is because we have not faith in the Word of God and in the promises of God. And I want to show you a couple of things back in our text tonight, and I hope this will all kind of connect as we bring it to a conclusion. But I want you to note a couple of things about our God that will help us to understand Why it is, he tells us not to fear. First of all, I want you to look at verse number 29. And the first reason God says that we're not to fear, and something that he reveals about himself is this, is that our God cares about things that we don't even notice. He says, are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? And one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father. Now he uses the illustration here of a sparrow. A sparrow is just a common bird. It's not a grand bird. It's certainly not a bald eagle. It's not one of those colorful parrots or something that we would go to a zoo or somewhere to look at. We don't go to zoos to look at the sparrows. They're kind of just the birds that exist. They're around We don't walk out in the morning and say, oh, the sparrows are singing a beautiful song or taking pictures of those things. They just kind of are there. And he makes mention that even in the days of 
of the Lord, he says that the sparrow was devalued. You could buy two sparrows for a farthing. Now in today's, well, I don't even know with our currency going all the way, but last time I checked, a farthing was about a half a penny. You could buy four sparrows for a penny. Most people don't even have pennies anymore. We have a coin shortage. Four of these birds for one penny, something you'd find in Walmart's parking lot for free. Something that we wouldn't even consider buying. And really what Jesus is highlighting here is this. He said these sparrows are worthless and the only person that has any value for these sparrows are the poorest of the poorest in the community because they can't afford the good food. They find a little bit of money and they're like, well, we got to eat. We might as well eat a sparrow. Not the tastiest of meals, but at least it keeps us alive. But I want you to notice here, he's not focusing on their devalue. He's saying this, he, he says, sparrows may have no worth to you, but I value them. When one sparrow falls from a tree dead, when one sparrow gets injured, I notice, I see it. You say, why did the Lord bring that out? He brings it out because He wants you and I to know that He notices every little detail in our life. And brethren, I'm not talking about sin in our life. We understand that the eyes of the Lord run to and fro. And note this, it says, He beholds the evil and the good. Our God is not just a God that's looking down amongst us and, well, I'm going to find them in their sin and find them in their bad attitude. But He also notices when we're doing what's right. But I believe it's more than just seeing the good and the bad. He, Jesus is saying this, is that when you and I fall into troubles, our God takes notice of it. Others may not. You know, even in our meeting tonight, you may be doing a great job of covering up your troubled heart. You may have had one of the worst days of your life. You may be going through trials and difficulties and struggles and, and a whole host of things. And you walk in here and everybody else is just focused on other things. Well, we have missionaries and we're having conference and we got to get fellowship and we're doing a special and... They're buzzing around and they don't even notice you. And if they do notice you, it's this, well, how you doing, brother? How you doing, sister? They're not really coming and wanting to know what's going on inside. But I'm going to remind you tonight that God notices. He notices every detail of your life. He knows exactly what is going on. And not only does He notice it, but He ordains it. We go to the book of Job. We read the story of this man and his wife and the tragedy that they went through. Their children dying, their business lost, their health gone. And I'm often amazed at the attitude of Job, this righteous man, who refused to stop worshiping God. And he said this, he says, God knows the way that I'm going to go. I don't understand why he's allowing this to happen and and even Job wrestled with this. Does God really notice what I'm going through? And does He see my pain and my frustration? But He came back to the promise of the Word. And He said this, God knows the way that I go. And when I come through this, I'll be much more, of much more value than that of gold. See, what other people see as half a penny's worth, God sees of great value. And he's reminding us tonight that we don't have to fear what's going on because our God, he takes notice of every little detail. Everything in your life he notices, and not only does he notice, but everything in your, that's going on in your life fits somewhere. There is nothing that is happening tonight in your life that is outside of the knowledge of God. There is nothing that is going on in your life tonight that is outside the consent of God. Whether it's good or it's bad or it's real ugly, God knows it all and through it all He has a divine purpose. And what are we to do 
as we go through the ups and downs of our life. We'll go over, if you would, to Romans chapter number 8 with me. Romans chapter number 8 and verse 28, a verse that many of us have committed to memory, but there's something very important that we often overlook in this verse. We often focus on the fact of this, well, we know all things work together for good. But let's read this verse again and highlight something that may help you to know what to do when life is not going the way that you hope, when it's not going the way that you enjoy, and what will remove that fear of God not being there or God not helping or whatever else it may be. Romans 8 verse 28, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. For whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed into the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Now, first of all, I want you to know, the great promise is this, that all things will work together for good, but that promise is contingent. The contingency is there. To them that love God. Not just those who will raise their hand and say, well, of course I love Jesus. But how do we love the Lord? Jesus said, if you love me, keep my what? Commandments. Keeping His commandments is faith. It's an action. Lord, you've told me what to do in your word. I'm going to obey your word, although I don't feel like it, although I'm afraid of what's going to happen. But God, I'm going to love you by continuing to obey. And He says, if you obey, then everything is going to work out okay. In fact, it's going to work out better than okay. When you're done with that trial, you'll look more like my son. Is that not a wonderful thing? That we would look more and more like Jesus? Now you may say, well, what's the big deal of that? what, What does it matter if I look more and more like Christ today than I did yesterday? It's a huge deal because the Bible says that God predestinated that you be conformed into His Son. If you're not looking like Jesus, if you're not thinking like Jesus, you're not talking like Jesus, you're not fulfilling the will of God for your life. Amen? And see, and that is why when we come up to troubles in our life and trials in our life, the natural response is to fear it and try to avoid it. But the man or the woman of faith says, Lord, I know you're here to help me through it. And it may be a fiery trial and it may be a difficult path, but Lord, I'm looking at the end result. And I trust you enough to lead me through this fire because I want to be like you. God cares about the little things that we don't notice. There are things in your life that God's targeting that you don't even see. But He wants to get it because He wants you to be like Christ. The second thing I want you to see is this. This removes our fears as well is that God cares about the tiniest details in our life. When we go back, he kind of throws in this other illustration, and it almost seems like it doesn't have any place there because verse 29, he's talking about the sparrows, and verse 31, he's talking about the sparrows. And I know this, I have looked at a sparrow, and they do not have hair. They have feathers. But he just kind of throws in there, he says, now the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Now, these are the tiniest details, the hairs on our head. It's probably not the most important body part. You know, there are a lot of other body parts that we want the Lord to notice. Lord, focus on my aching back. Focus on my failing eyesight. Lord, focus on the arthritis in my hands. But yet God says, I'm, kind of, I'm also keeping count of the hairs on your head. Now, let's just put this into perspective. This shows how detailed God is. According to my research, every human being has at least 100,000 hair follicles. Some more than others. It's actually blondes and brunettes and redheads and the color of our hair, you may have more or less. 
that kind of a good even thing there is that every one of us have over 100,000 hair follicles. The 100,000 hairs on your head, he's all numbered. God knows every hair. That's an interesting fact, isn't it? Why would Almighty God care about how many hairs you have on your head? Why would he be interested in that little detail? That's the type of God that we serve. Now, what's interesting also to note is that on average, every day we lose 100 hairs. Just by brushing our hair like this, just by going about our daily activities, they fall out. And God says, I notice when a hair falls out. Say, where are you going with this? Well, what I want you to understand is God takes note of everything. God is watching everything we do. God is listening to everything we say. There is nothing that passes God. Now, we can take that in many different ways, can't we? We can take it in our trials and our tribulations that whatever we're going through, God notices. We can look at it in our life with our attitude, our behavior, our words, whatever it is. But the Bible is very clear that God cares about those little details. And brethren, what we need to learn from this is that if God cares about the little details of life, then you and I also need to care about the little details of our life. I believe it was Solomon who said this in the book of Song of Solomon. He said, the little foxes spoil the vine. So often in our life, we're focused on just the big things, the big picture of things. And we fail to take notice of those little details. It's often in those little details that God opens the greatest doors. It's often in those little things in our life that when we notice them, God gets the greatest victory and does the greatest work in our life. And so often we're just busy about everything going on and that busyness is creating that stress and when we have that stress, we have that fear. And what God is saying is this, that I take notice and I notice every little detail that's going on because every detail is important to me. You say, how does that fit in with us not being fearful? Well, I'll tell you this, if we took more time to notice the little things that were going on, we'd have a lot less fear in our life. There's one thing the Lord did for me, especially, and I think for my family, while on the mission field, is we noticed the little things. And it was often those little things that God did the greatest work in our heart and our life. And sometimes we need to learn to slow down and sometimes slow down enough to be able to count all the things that God is doing in our life and all the things that he's changing in us and then just be able to worship him and praise him for that. God is a God of detail. But then I want you to see in verse 31, God cares about the soul. I love this statement. He says, fear ye not therefore, Ye are more, of more value than many sparrows. What Jesus is doing is connecting that statement with verse number 29. He says, two sparrows are sold for half a penny. It's of no value to anybody. They're poor men's food. But he says, you are more valuable than many sparrows. People are worth something to God. Amen? You're worth something to God. Every single person that he's created in the womb, God puts a huge value upon. We're losing that in our society today, aren't we? All life does matter to the Lord. And we're not the judge of which one matters more or matters less. 
And brethren, I'd say it's probably not for us a matter of skin color or ethnicity or language. But I know this, that sometimes as we get older in the Lord, we become more judgmental towards others. I'm tired of seeing all these homeless people around, all these drug addicts, all these drunkards, all these people who can't get their life together. They're of great value to God. All souls matter to the Lord. See, Jesus said here, when a sparrow dies, I notice it. But he's making the connection. He says, when a soul dies, I also notice it. And my friend, Jesus didn't die for the sparrows, but he died for you and I. And he wants us to understand some truths that will help take away the fear and the anxiety and all the spirit of being afraid. And it's wrapped up in three things. His statement causes us to contemplate, first of all, our eternal destination. Where are you going when you die? Because one of these days, like that sparrow, you'll fall out of the tree. And when a man dies, he opens his eyes either in the presence of the Lord or he opens his eyes in the terrors of hell. Sparrows die and so do we. But he also wants us to consider the enormous decision that we need to make. And that decision is this, are we going to trust in the Lord? Will we receive the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior or will we reject Him? And it's amazing how so many people today, even in our churches, are not settled in that matter. They know about Jesus, they can quote the gospel, they can say the things that are right, but yet in their heart there's still that doubt, there's still that fear. And when we make that decision, it's not a, 50% decision, it's not a 99, it's a 100%. I am putting my soul in his hands. I don't fear. If death were to come today, I know whom I belong to. If death comes today, I have no fear. I know where uh, I'll be. I know when I open my eyes, who am I, I will see. It's not this doubt. See, so often we're living in this fear. We're afraid of death. And I've seen that happen over this last year and a half. So many Christians are petrified to die. And that's not going to work. If we're walking around fearful of death, always afraid of this or afraid of that, we're never going to do anything for God. We have to be confident if I were to die and my day was to come, I know where I'll be. I'm okay. And I'll tell you this. I, I wonder, we look at this and we talk about worldwide missions and we talk about reaching people and going places, but yet so many people are not even willing to hazard their life for the cause of Christ. Life's dangerous. Ministry's dangerous. But the only way we can really go out without any fear is if we have faith in our Savior. But then we also need to choose our entire dependence. If you look here in the same chapter, the Bible says, Whosoever, verse 32, excuse me, verse 32, Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. But whoso shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. And then he goes on and he talks about being a servant. Verse 39, He that findeth his life shall lose it, and he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. We need to make a decision on who we're going to depend upon. It's not just a matter of depending upon the Lord for eternal salvation. It's a matter of depending upon the Lord in this life. It was mentioned earlier, but in Mark chapter number 8 and verse 36, Jesus put it this way. Mark chapter 8 and verse 36, He says, For what shall it profit a man 
If he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul, or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. Are we willing to pick up that cross and truly live for Christ? When you go back to Matthew chapter number 10, the context of this passage is evangelism. You'll notice in verse 1 that Jesus called his 12 disciples. He gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. Verse 5, he commanded them and sent them forth to go preach the gospel. Verse 16, he said, Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be ye therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But beware of men. For they will deliver you up to councils and they will scourge you in their synagogues. And he goes on about the challenges and the difficulties. And in that context, what does he say? Fear not. Fear not. Fear keeps us from serving God. That's a simple fact of it. But if we're fearful, it's because we're not a people of faith. God doesn't give us a spirit of fear, but a power and love and a sound mind. And I wonder, would Jesus come to us tonight and ask us, why are you so fearful? Why is it that you have no faith? Brethren, serving the Lord has its fearful moments. In Acts 18, we read of the Apostle Paul in Corinth, and he feared. But the Lord came to him in a vision by night and said, Be not afraid. Open your mouth and speak. I'm with you, Paul. There's people that need to be reached in Corinth. And the Bible says that he got up the next morning for the next year and a half. He evangelized Corinth. In Paul's final letter to Timothy, it's where we read that, where he reminded Timothy, he said, God has not given you the spirit of fear. But he said that right after he reminded Timothy to stir up the gift of God that is in your life. He said, Timothy, you're a preacher. Don't be fearful. And he talks about a man in chapter 4, Demas. Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. You know, Demas didn't go back to a life of sin. He didn't go and be a rebel, a reprobate. The key word there is this present world. Demas just wasn't willing to face the fears. And so he went back. What is going to get us up doing the work that God has called us to do? Brethren, I could sit here and quote every mission verse. I could go through all the things that you've been taught for many, many years. And I could get the amens, and I can get that's right, preacher. But when Jesus called his men to go, he recognized one of their biggest dangers would be fear. And so he repeated himself three times. He said, men, don't be afraid. The gospel truth will prevail. Men, don't be afraid. I'm greater than your enemies. And men, don't be afraid because I'll take care of you along the way. And brethren, I'm here to tell you tonight, when you allow your faith to conquer your fears, what Jesus said in Matthew 10 will become a reality. 
And I hope you'll come back tomorrow night and Friday night because I'll share things where we tested God on those very principles. And you know what? God never let us down. And he can do that for you. He wants to do that for you. But we're going to have to be people of faith again. Amen. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, as Pastor Demwell makes his way to the front, let's take just a moment to talk to the Lord about what we've heard this evening. In our first session, we were reminded of our command as a church, as God's people. And those last words that our Savior uttered before He ascended back to glory and how it has not changed. And tonight you're either following that command or you're not. And I would dare say that if you're not, it's because you've allowed fear to overtake your faith. Switch it around tonight. God, I'm going to live by faith so that I no longer will fear. Our Father in heaven, I thank you for the time tonight. And I pray that your word has been a help to your people. Continue to work throughout this conference, bring all things together so that we can be revived and we can be refreshed to go out and do what you've called us to do. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.